I'd like to tell you about a story that's pretty far-fetched that happened many years ago. And it's the story of a man that many thought was dead. He was relatively young when he supposedly died. And when he showed up alive to the surprise of almost everyone, he had already been declared officially dead. At first, he was looked at as a hero. Later, though, his story was thought to be a hoax, a clever ruse that masked the real truth of what actually happened. Do you know who I'm talking about? You probably guessed it. I can't fool you, even though today is April Fool's Day. Of course, uh, I'm talking about David Steves, the first lieutenant of the United States Air Force. What? Some of you weren't thinking along that same line? I gave you such great information to let you know about him? Well, 60 years ago, Lieutenant Steves uh, was a test pilot of a T-33 jet trainer that went missing. He disappeared over California's rugged Sierra Nevada mountains on May 9th of 1957. And yes, that was before I was born. He did, not by much, watch it. Hey, 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 hey. I didn't butt in on you when you were doing announcements. But he went disappearing while he was making a solo flight in his two-seat training jet. A T-33 is called a shooting star. And according to the Air Force, he was dead. Little was known about David's final minutes. He was uh, level 33,500 feet, and he made a routine radio call, just checking in, about 35 minutes after taking off from Oakland, California's airport. After that, nothing was ever heard from him. It was supposed to have been a routine cross-country flight. The Air Force did an investigation, and over the next few days, the Air Force search and rescue planes overflew the mountainous terrain where the jet was thought to have crashed. But no trace of Steve's or his jet could be found in some of America's roughest terrain. After three weeks, the Air Force issued a death certificate for First Lieutenant David Arthur Steve's. The military at the time had traditionally waited a year and a day before uh, issuing a death certificate. But given the realities of Steve's last flight, Air Force officials suspended that policy. Even if he ejected and landed in one piece, they reasoned, he could never have survived in the ice and snow-covered mountains, which had gotten a heavy snow soon after his jet went down. I'm going to stop right here in this story and ask this. Have you ever felt lost or abandoned? Maybe you feel like you've been given up on. As a pastor of care and support, I've heard many stories of people who have felt as if they've been given up on maybe by their parents, by a spouse, by your siblings, and even 
a lot of older parents feel like they've been given up on by their kids. Maybe you felt that you've been given up on by your friends or by your boss. Or maybe you feel like God has abandoned you and given up on you too. We all carry some kind of baggage that contributes to us feeling alone and empty and dead inside. I've got news for you. You aren't abandoned. Not by God, at least. I can't say about all the rest of the people, but not by God. And today is not about trying to give you a pep talk. Today is about sharing the great truth about how much God loves you. And I'm going to try to keep it focused, not how much God loves us. That is a truth. But each and every one of us needs to hear how much God loves you as an individual. Today's message is going to be in two parts. So for those of you who call Foothills your home, uh, don't think when I close this in prayer when we have a song, you're like, wow, all right, I'm out of here. Because we're going to have a, a second part. Oh, darn. It'll be shorter than normal. <laughs> but I want to make sure that um, in sharing this in two parts, I want to start off by sharing with you about a, a prophet. We've been going through a series, and we're currently in the prophets. And, and even though we haven't taught on this prophet yet, I'm going to share with you about uh, something that happened in this prophet's life. His name is Ezekiel. And God gave him a vision. So this is about a vision that the Lord had given him which illustrates a promise of new life and restoration. And so if you have your electronic devices, which I know almost every single person does, or if you want to reach uh, underneath the seat in front of you, not to goose somebody, but to grab the Bible that's underneath there, um, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Ezekiel. In chapter 37, and I'm going to be in verses 1 through 10. So Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 6, this is where I'm going to start off. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold... There were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Verse 3, and he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. How would you have answered that? If God asked you a question where you're looking at something, all you see is dead, dry bones scattered out. In the Bible, it says in the valley, but we get a picture of in a valley where a battlefield had been. And the Lord asks him, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel was wise enough to just, instead of give an answer, he says, Hey, Lord, <laughs> you're sovereign, you know. Verse 4, then he said to me, prophecy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. 
Verse 6, and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now this is a prophecy of the Jews during a time when they were in captivity. They were scattered and spiritually dead. Later in this chapter, the prophecy speaks of both Israel and Judah regathered in their homeland with the Messiah as their leader. That day is still to come. But even though Ezekiel felt that he was speaking to the spiritually dead Jewish exiles, God showed him in this vision that these dry, dead bones responded to his prophecy. Look back at verses 4 and 5. Then he said to me, prophecy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. On the outside, they... You all look great this morning. You all look great. But I'm willing to bet for some of you, on the inside, you might be feeling spiritually dead. At the very least, you might be feeling very dry. Thank you, Cindy, for turning that off. You came today hoping, just maybe, you could get a spiritual boost to get you going, to keep you going. But you know what? God doesn't want to give you a boost. He wants you to come alive. If God can make old, dry bones come back to life, what do you think he wants to do with you? He wants to help you come alive. We're going to sing a song that was written from this passage. And I want to just challenge you to sing along with the worship team and to make it your prayer to the Lord. Let the words be a prayer to the Lord asking him to breathe new life into you. That word for breath, ruah. And this passage can be translated either breath or wind or spirit. And in verse 14, it's translated as God's spirit. So whether God was referring to wind, physical breath, the principle of life, or the Holy Spirit, you know what, it's uncertain. However, the results were obvious. God gave life to these dead bones. And as Ezekiel was giving this prophecy, he saw a remarkable thing. Look with me in verses 7 through 10. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and beheld, and there were sinews or tendons on them. And there was flesh or muscles had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, 
prophecy to the breath, prophecy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Look at verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Verse 7 says the bones came together. Verse 8 says how the skeletal structure with the tendons and the muscles and the skin covered their bodies, but still there was no life. It's not until verse 10 where it says that the breath came into them, that they lived and stood on their feet. Men and women, you do not have to try to do this thing called life on your own. Let the Holy Spirit breathe new life into your old, tired, dry bones. Why in the world? Why in the world would you ever want to remain where you are when Jesus is calling you to come alive? Let's sing. Let's stand together. so much we have lost as we look down the road where all the prodigals have walked and one by one the enemy has whispered lies and led them off as slaves but we know that you are God, yours is the victory. We know there is more to come that we may not yet see. So with the faith you've given us, we step into the valley Come alive, come alive, I'm proud of 
Well, to pick up on our story, um, guess what? 54 days after David Steves had disappeared, he walked out of the California Sierras on July 1st, 1957. And he told the unbelievable tale of how he survived in the snowy wilderness after parachuting from his disabled plane. Both of his ankles were badly sprained from a hard landing caused by his parachute being burned in two different panels after his plane had exploded. And um, the Los Angeles Times reported that Steves was without food or shelter for 15 days. He survived freezing temperatures at 12,000 feet. He used his parachute to wrap himself up in. And he crawled, slipped, and slid to safety over 20 torturous miles of high country. He lost between 40 and 50 pounds. He was skin and bones. And at first, he was thought to be a hero. A book and movie deals were being planned. But then, when uh, further searches failed, to turn up the wreckage of his plane, believe it or not, it was believed that he had made the whole story up. To cover up that he had flown the plane to Mexico 
so that the Russians could get their hands on it. It was during the Cold War with Russia, and McCarthyism was alive and well, and looking for uh, Russian spies everywhere. The Saturday Evening Post and the different presses, AP and things like that, were running all these stories because you had to run sensationalized stories to keep people interested in reading. And um, they started discrediting him. And people started believing it. That never happens today on the internet, right? And they discredited him so badly and to the point that he lost all credibility. He had to resign from the Air Force uh, under a huge cloud of doubt. He got divorced from his wife. He lost his book deal, and no movie was ever made about his life, about his incredible adventure. He had tried himself to find the wrecked plane on many occasions over the next seven years, but he never did find it. And he died in 1965 as a 31-year-old broken man. Steve's story faded into obscurity until 1978 when rangers in the Kings Canyon reported the Boy Scouts visiting from Los Angeles. (laughs) Good old Boy Scouts had found wreckage in the area where the pilot had ejected. The canopy of a T-33 shooting star. It bore the serial number 52-92-32. That was the serial number of Steve's canopy. It was vindication that Steve's had indeed told the truth. So why did I tell this story? Well, I thought it might help to remind us of another survival story from centuries ago that's also controversial. A man by the name of Jesus Christ walked out of the wilderness making claims a lot of people found difficult to believe. He was later executed and pronounced dead But three days later, he showed up alive. And there have been skeptics ever since. Contrary to the opinion of the skeptics, the New Testament proclaims a Christ who once was dead and is now alive. Not a Christ who once was alive and now is dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 says this, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That's what skeptics believe. That's what atheists believe. And I feel sorry for them. I don't rub it in their noses. I don't rub it in their faces. I feel sorry for them. Because you know what? If that were the case, I know that this is not a waste one second of my life proclaiming Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And I tell you, I've tried to search and search 
And when I've come to the conclusion, there, there's no better evidence for the resurrection historically, not just because the Bible says it, but historians say it. Jesus is alive. Not because I say so, because God says so. Because God had that plan. Christianity in its very essence is a resurrection religion, says John Stott. The concept of the resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. Never forget that. Never forget that. He's not on the cross. He was three days ago. And we came together to remember that. And, and Stephen gave us a great message reminding us of who Christ is and what he did, the, the price he paid for each one of us individually. But he's not there anymore. I liked what R.A. Story says. He says, the resurrection of Jesus is the Gibraltar of the Christian faith and the Waterloo of infidelity and rationalism. Did you get that? It's, it's just the, the Gibraltar, the rock of the Christian faith. And it is the Waterloo. It is the death of rationalism and infidelity. In John chapter 11, when Jesus was speaking with Martha, he says these words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks Martha this question, do you believe this? Same question I'm asking you. Do you believe it? I hope so. I hope so, for your sake. And if you do, that would result in a changed life. That will result in us not living for ourselves, but living for the Christ who died for us and who rose for us so that we can rise with him. I love doing memorial services for Christians. You might think, wow, that's morbid. No, it's fantastic because we know exactly where they're at. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. And there's joy. You can celebrate that. But you know what's sad is when you have no idea. Somebody talks about God, but uh, I don't know. You know, how do you know? And I don't want to be close-minded. Those are the worst that's when my heart breaks as a pastor doing a, a service for people like that. But we can rejoice because the resurrection of Jesus is the Gibraltar of our Christian faith. I like this other comment John Stott uh, wrote in one of his books. We live and die. Christ died and lived. Hmm. Watchman Nee said this, our old history ends with the cross. That's where it ends. Our sins, Christ took care of them. That's our old history. But our new history begins with the resurrection. 
Amen? He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is not here in Mark chapter 16, verse 6. It tells us he's not here. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. The empty tomb is the Father's amen to the Son's cry of, it is finished. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just come before you. Many here are alive. And as Aaron was reminding us on Friday, Friday was a hard day, but boy, we're going to party on Sunday. And Lord, I'm so thankful for the people who can show the, the inexpressible joy that is inside of them and how it radiates through their face, through their body language, through everything about them. And Lord, for those who are here who are hurting, those who are here who are struggling, Lord, I know you will meet them where they're at. Would you bring encouragement? Would you remind them of the hope that comes through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Father God, there are some here today, they don't even know why they're here. And that's okay. Maybe to appease somebody. Maybe so that they won't feel so guilty one day out of the year. Well, I don't know what it is and I really don't care. But I do pray that they cannot leave here today without encountering the living Christ. Without the recognition that you are the great I am. Lord, if they continue to deny you, I just want to lift them up to you and pray that you will reach in their hearts and they will open themselves up to allowing you to enter. God, we thank you that we worship a Savior who's alive. We worship a God who has a plan from the very beginning to rescue and save each and every one of us We were lost, but you found us, and I praise you for that. In Jesus' name, our risen Savior, and everybody said,